1: Robust running back build in the FFPC main event. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen. You can find my newsletter, Stealing Signals, at BenGretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at And We'll jump back in to our draft that started with four running backs in the first six rounds. Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, Mike Williams, Deontay Johnson, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins, Brandon Ayuk, Devonta Smith, Trey Lance, Sky Moore, Albert Okulbanam, and Jahan Dotson were our first 12 picks. We're on the clock here in the 13th round.
2: Who are you thinking, Sean? Well, Noah Fant does come back. I guess I feel more comfortable with this offense now that we know Gino is going to be the quarterback. You can say maybe that actually lowers the ceiling, but I think it gives us a lot more floor. I mean, Fant has dealt with horrible quarterback play his entire career. I mean, this isn't anything new for him. I mean, when you look at how it affects their players, it could be new for DK. It could be new for Tyler Lockett. I mean, Noah Fant's going to be like, Geno Smith throws the ball better than Drew Locke threw it to me last year, but yeah. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater threw it to me. I don't care about this. I'm ready to go.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. So we get our second tight end to pair with Albert Okugman, who we talked about in the first show, is a guy that I, you know, with his athleticism and small sample target earning potential is a guy that we think could hit in a really big way. But if he is inconsistent, if the routes are inconsistent, the, there's some concern that fans' routes could be a little inconsistent. I, I guess I'm not that concerned and see how they don't have enough playmakers in the passing game. They did sign Will Disley to a big contract, but like fans going to be the number one. He's going to run at least a, a good number of routes. He's going to be out there on passing downs. At least that's the way I see it. And, and so I think he's a guy that even if Okugbanam's role isn't necessarily consistent, we could. We can play Fant as sort of the floor option in this in this passing and this in this tight end build. Maybe there's a little less ceiling in the Seattle passing game overall, but really like the value on him in the 13th of 1310. As it swings back around, Sean, we still only have those four running backs. I don't know that either of us is going to be interested in taking
2: another one, frankly.
1: Right on this build,
2: it's possible. No, I I mean probably not the back that i would have been i I would have felt had the upside to do it would probably be raheem Mostert. he goes in the middle of 12 with him out i don't i mean i just don't know that we need to take the profiles mostly that are left we'll see where we are at the very end of the draft i know that we're not big evan ingram fans but when we talk about sort of athletic upside we talk about a qb taking the leap And, and knowing that Jacksonville has added some interesting players. I mean, I think because the contracts were so absurd that, you know, it's actually easy to understate or undervalue how solid Christian Kirk and Zay Jones are. But I mean, they don't have some massive target receivers who are going to do it all by themselves. I mean, every time you watch Evan Ingram, he drops an easy pass. Is there any interest here at 1403? I, I would be quite a bit
1: higher. I think on Brevin Jordan as a year two tight end who actually had some pretty good per route numbers last year. Ingram's never really shown that Ingram's you mentioned the other contracts in a year where the Jaguars are giving out big contracts. Ingram got a very small one year, like $8 million deal. Very, very simple one year veteran deal. If you really want to go that route, I I can buy it. He would not. I've been pretty much completely full fading. Ingram. How about KJ Hamler? Yeah, let's go Hamler. That sounds good. He was the other option for me. He's the best receiver available for me. We can let the tight end position come to us a little bit with both. Alberto and Fant on the roster. Uh, it leaves us uh, in position to see if if uh Ingram continues to fall. He t- tends to go in this range. So he he is one that is maybe a little harder to get a good price on. Part of the reason I don't necessarily love taking him. But again, with Brevin Jordan there, and then even going deeper, like we've I, I've talked a lot about Johnny Smith. I've talked a lot. You've talked a lot about taking Dre McBride in every build. I think there are other ways that we can add a third tight end, and we have the flexibility for that if we only go four running backs, which we're leaning towards with how heavy we went at running back. We talked about this on the first show, but this draft did fall pretty favorably to us for how running back heavy we started. Not a lot of interest in some of the profiles that we are interested in, which is nice. Uh, We were able to get Brandon Ayuk and Devonta Smith at the 7-8 turn. We were able to get Trey Lance at the 9-10 Sky Moore in the 10th round. I've taken him in the 7th in main events. I'm not sure if that was with you, Sean, but I do, I do know I've taken him as high as the 7th. Not a very receiver-heavy draft. The flip side of that, there's been a lot of tight ends that have gone early. We still wound up getting pretty good ones. There's also been a lot of running backs. You talked about how Mostert went in the 12th. Sometimes you can get him in the 15th. There have been a lot of the interesting upside running back profiles. You know, those that tier of Daryl Henderson and Michael Carter and Kenneth Gainwell all went in the 10th and 11th. A lot of times that's uh, uh, a tier that's in the the 12th and 13th. Naheem Hines went in the 10th. Alexander Madison went in the 10th. Ken Walker, Rashad White at the 10-11 turn. Not a lot of clear value in those sort of 0RB targets in a way that made it a little bit, Tougher. There's a, a drafter in the nine spot ahead of us who went full zero RB, went Travis Kelsey, CeeDee Lamb, DJ Moore, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith Schuster, Patrick Mahomes, Drake London, and Amari Cooper in the eighth before ever taking a running back, and then has since gone with six straight. James Cook, Naheem Hines, Kenneth Gainwell, Tyler Algier, Eno Benjamin, Mike Davis here in the 14th. So you get a lot of running backs. You know, you have someone doing something that we like to do zero RB, really hammering that range. Some of these other drafters have taken a lot of running backs, and so they've been hammering this range as well. Has not really created any running back value in, in this area, which, again, as I said, was very favorable for us. <laughs> we very much recognize that. I, I, I certainly do. When we start with four running backs through do six rounds, it's a risky proposition to still get the receiver depth you need. But we start with Mike, Mike Williams and Deontay Johnson. We get Brandon Ayuk and Devonta Smith at that 7-8 turn. It's We talked in the last show, it's Really nice third and fourth receiver that often for us are maybe the fourth and fifth, but we're often taking them you know around higher each to get them as the third and fourth in a draft where we took four running backs early. Really pretty nice. And then Sky Moore to tack on and Jahan Dotson and KJ Hamler now to continue to add receiver depth in profiles that we like with upside we talked in the first show about maybe taking Russell Wilson, but Trey Lance had up falling to us. Part of the reason we said that was we might take Albert o and KJ Hamler in this draft. We did take both. So we're still kind of playing that uh, part of the Denver passing game with no Tim Patrick there. We didn't take Judy or Cortland Sutton in this draft. So gives us uh, some paths to a, a, an exciting team that has exciting profiles that are a little bit buried behind those two big-name receivers in drafters' minds, but are are very worthwhile picks into these rounds. So sort of a recap of where we're at. It's a fun team, Sean, at this point. I mean, we we say this on every show, but I, I, I think I like this team so much because we went so running back heavy and didn't really pay for it. And you can, but, you know, maybe these receivers won't be enough depth, but I feel good about it. I'm not terrified of it, which you can end up doing or feeling if you take four running backs in the first six rounds. We still get Trey Lance at the nine ten. so without even taking a quarterback on our first eight rounds, we get a guy that we've talked about as having QB1 overall upside. It doesn't even feel like we played late-round quarterback, even though we essentially did. And we still were able to get a couple of intriguing tight end profiles. Don't have the elite tight end, but I think we can get some solid tight end points out of those guys. Where, where are you at on where we're sitting here?
2: I, I just absolutely love it, and I think this is – an example of what we talk about from time to time where have a fun draft never come out of the draft and feel like you didn't have enough fun if you break your structure if you destroy your build from that perspective like we have done here make sure you do it on players that you're excited about think have huge upside that you want to root for doesn't mean it's going to work but i just think that the fun draft and sort of the zero bad player draft i mean that's how you put together these teams where at the end of the season everybody else is kind of looking back on you and saying, I mean, how did they get that team? It doesn't seem like ADP would have allowed it. That's sort of what we're hoping to do with those four early running backs is to have a team where, regardless of which players actually come through that some players do, and drafters are trying to figure out, you know, how that build was available. Tight end is is the question, right? With Albert O, Noah Fant, one of the things, if you look up on the, again, the ceiling signal tool, you see that Fant's route profile, targets per route, that type of thing, almost identical to Dalton Schultz. And that's despite the fact that he was playing with Albert O there, right? Albert O's profile in the limited numbers just, you know, through the roof. These guys, now that they're separate, I think we could see some big things. It doesn't mean that we necessarily will. It's not a lock. And we know that Dalton Schultz is obviously going to get much more efficient QB play than Fant. He's a touchdown play in the Cowboys offense. I think that Fant may end up being a reception play here in this, seahawks offense and this is tight end premium so there is a little bit of value to that we're three picks away here
1: to your point about uh the the gap between Fant and schultz I'll, i you know i think certainly the the reason drafters are drafting it the way they are is because the dallas passing game is going to throw a lot more you get more route certainty with schultz he runs or is likely to run probably quite a, a lot of their routes. There's a little more concern with whether Fant will run all of their routes and how much Seattle will pass. But I like what you're saying. I mean, if Seattle throws more than we expect and Fan has that type of role, I mean, those things can definitely come together from a per-route perspective. He's going to be basically right there with Schultz if the routes get to Schultz's level. We are back on the clock. Evan Ingram did go, who you were lobbying for when we took KJ Hamler last pick. Brevin Jordan made it
2: back. He's kind of interesting. Who are you thinking here? Well, the Isaiah-likely play is is kind of fun. I think he might have more upside in there, more explosive offense. Uh, David Bell is the top player I have on my board, but you don't necessarily need to take him yet. Alec Pierce would give us another one of those breakout rookies, Christian Watson. I mean, if we want to take some swings at wide receiver, we could do it here. Bell's the top receiver on my board as well. Um, Christian Watson still
1: being there is, is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm comfortable with any of those. If you want to go likely, so we do go likely. Christian Watson goes right behind us. I didn't know where we were at the clock, but it seems like that was uh, we it yeah, got down trouble. to two.
2: Christian Watson probably would have been another very good way to play it again, just because there's so much uncertainty there. And I mean, at the end of the season, Benner, I mean, you're looking at Lazard, Watson, and Dobbs as the three guys, right? That's going to be it. And Watson is the cheap way to play it
1: now. I love Dobbs, but when you get Watson four rounds behind, that would, that's certainly a nice, nice pick, but we went with the likely pick. He has looked really good. Their number two receivers are not coming on. Is the idea behind this pick that they're going to be running two tight ends in most of their
2: pass routes? I think so. And I mean, they need him to be the number three receiver. He's looked that good. He was just an absolute, you know, one man juggernaut in college. And then didn't test quite as well and so he falls out i mean it was really likely in mcbride who were the two tight ends from this class who looked like potential stars and then you know likely sort of fades now he's right back in the mix with how he's looked in the offseason and not i mean in the preseason and not just that but in their practices as well i like that idea we are back
1: on the clock uh we do have other ways to play receiver do you care for a fourth tight end or do you want to try to just lock up David Bell here
2: well let's not risk Bell I I mean Pierce would be interesting I'm not on him but I think at this price it gets to be kind of interesting now the most recent development is it looks like he could be behind Paris Campbell but again I mean you're talking about not being overly worried about week one for these guys we don't want to lose David Bell I don't think that he's going to go but if he did we get into round 16 and there's, there's no need to get someone in round 18 instead of round 16 if he's a very clear target for you. I, I know that in some ways it sounds like a broken record, Ben, but there are a number of depth charts here where the veteran big name is expensive because the rest of the roster is unproven And yet, if the passing game looks like it's going to have some questions, then, and if the rookie is probably the better talent at this point in their respective careers, I mean, Terry McLaurin has been disappointing. And I just, I'm not sure he's a great fit with, with Carson Wentz either, right? I mean, Jahan Dotson has been the better guy. Amari Cooper, David Bell, I think that you have to make that bet when an offense could just be in shambles for the first two thirds of the season, but there is volume potential there, especially when David Bell has been a guy who soaks up massive volume. I mean, it's a big difference making that jump from the NFL from college to the NFL. But again, we're talking about a guy who generates a lot of Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry uh, comps because of, of just what you said, all of those targets. And I think especially when we don't have to play him in the first month and the, and the Browns can kind of get their feet under him, it's a, another really good stash to have. Yeah, I like that.
1: He's our eighth receiver. Continuing now in this build where we started with a lot of running backs to add rookie and young profiles that we think could break out, maybe won't be great in week one. We talked a little bit about how Brees Hall on the first show as part of our four early running backs still might not be a like a clear early season play. He might be um, certainly we'll be starting our first two running backs, Saquon Barkley and Deandre Swift, JK Dobbins, basically as soon as he's healthy, will be expecting to start in the flex. And so you're talking about needing three receivers in the early part of the year. We have Mike Williams and Deontay Johnson and Brandon Ayuk and Devonta Smith as sort of guys that we can certainly play in the early part of the year. And then behind that, we've taken Sky Moore, Jahan Dotson, KJ Hamler, David Bell, obviously three rookies there and Hamler, a guy who's hardly played through two seasons. And we're still largely leaning on his prospect profile as a bet that he is more than, you know, what uh, his draft position might suggest. And, certainly with Tim Patrick being injured, there is some potential for Hamler to play a good amount in a good passing game. And so suddenly you have four guys tacked onto that build that we might not need to play at all early in the year. And we're really hoping as you described with bell, but it extends beyond bell are guys that that will be able to play once they start developing some, a, a consistent role in their offenses. And we see that with the rookie receivers a lot, especially that later in the season they tend to be more productive. You can think back to Amin Ross St. Brown is the you know the easy one to, to to call out from last year, but he's not the only player. Certainly, that's a, a long time trend. Go back to my favorite guy, AJ Brown, who didn't do a lot in the first half of his career. His his route numbers were were so funny. The first month they're at a certain rate, and his snap numbers I think they were in the forty to fifty percent range. And the next month, it's like they just immediately scaled them up. At week five they're in the sixty percent range, and then week nine or week 10 is when he first hit, you know, 80% plus snaps. And so they're scaling up sort of, and, and down the stretch from week nine or week 10, he was the the wide receiver six in his rookie season. So if these guys can play. They might have to earn the role a little bit, but we could certainly use some late season firepower. We're hoping that we'll have the receiver depth from maybe week nine, week 10 through the playoff shootout, despite not taking many receivers early, taking only two in our first six picks. So. Really like the way that's coming together. We'll probably tack on another receiver. We have three tight ends already. We talked about how with these four running backs, we're not likely to add another. So as we get back towards our pick, Sean, a lot of the veteran receivers have gone. Like you mentioned, Paris Campbell In res- with respect to Alec Pierce, he had already gone. Jarvis Landry had already gone, a name you were talking about with the David Bell comp. Julio Jones we talked about a little bit when we were on the clock around the 11 12 turn he has he went in the, you know in the 12th round where he typically goes my guy Jacoby myers went in the 12th round a lot of defenses going off here in the 16th and 17th round a lot of people getting their d early we have not seen a single receiver go and we do not see a single receiver go until we get back on the clock at 17 10 after taking david bell and thus Alec pierce is still sitting there and <laughs> I don't think I can keep denying you the the opportunity to take another rookie.
2: Well, yeah, we also have Robbie Anderson here. I, I mean, I still just want more and more players, right? It'd be fun to draft Marcus Mariota. It'd be fun to draft either Johnny Smith or Trey McBride. We do have two picks plus the kicker and defense. We can add two more guys. These are fun options.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of ways to play this. Um, I, I guess I don't think Robbie Anderson makes a ton of sense, even though we do have the four that, maybe don't have consistent roles and Robbie might feel like he has the most consistent role of anyone we took after our first four
2: receivers. Yeah, I would agree with that. It it just isn't the, in best ball, there's a lot of reason to believe that he would be the perfect fit for this build in managed really not so much. We do get down to three seconds there and click the button on Pierce. Uh, He's one where I do like having a little bit of exposure because I mean, there's some chase Claypool type of upside there's some dj chark type of upside obviously charks was a second year where he scored those points but you know in the 17th round you don't have to pay anything to watch that for a few weeks and someone who will be easy to cut when we see that first big waiver acquisition that we need to make then we've got either these two tight ends that we could go through here there was one we didn't want to miss we could try and lock in a kicker from one of these good offenses.
1: I'm comfortable with either of those paths. Uh, we do have four kickers off the board already, though: Evan McPherson, Tucker, Bucker, Tyler Bass. Those are kind of the four that I like. Who would the kicker be for you?
2: Well, we could we could go with Carlson. We could go with Matt Gay. Oh, the thing we talked about the other day: McBride and, and Janu are basically not getting drafted, and so. Or they're going in the second half of the twentieth round, so we do have some flexibility too. But a lot of people already took defenses and kickers in this draft, so it is
1: possible that. And I think we're going to get a lot more player picks. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking through that backwards. It doesn't really matter, I guess, if they're going in the second half of the twentieth round. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Where we're out on the clock, but whatever. Uh, whatever path you you, you prefer, there's a couple of ways to do this and it's not really that important. I think there are some there's plenty of of non-kickers that we could go to if we want to go kicker here. And those guys, you know, were to go. So we take Matt Gay? He kicks for the Rams, right? I need to be reminded of these things. So that, I mean, we would have to take two kickers, but that would leave open the the Thursday night thing if we wanted to take two kickers. I'm not sure if we want to do that, but this is the type of team where we only went four running backs and we already have three tight ends and we have nine receivers that maybe we could spare an extra roster spot for week one and then cut the kicker that we don't want to keep after week one. And the reason you would do that, we talked about this on the last show is the Thursday night players. You get to decide after Thursday night football is played, whether you want to put them in your week one lineup. So if we had Matt gay and he kicked a lot of field goals, we can put him in. If he didn't, we could go with another kicker, but um that is a decision that we would have to make
2: based on our drafted roster so we'd have to have another kicker on our team and i do like i mean i do like that right i I, i'm not saying that i'm mentally or emotionally committed to it but i have argued for it in the past because the very last thing that you want to do is lose in week one and we know that these kicker scores have the the potential to be very low or just randomly super high yeah, if they, if they score four touchdowns and don't have any field goals. I mean, I was thinking
1: that, you know, the Bills-Rams is going to be a high-scoring game probably, but if he doesn't kick a field goal, he could have four points in,
2: in week one. At I mean, the we worst were... thing as a fantasy manager is to be there, especially like if it's a Monday night football, but to be watching and see your team get behind early, and you're like, well, I mean, field goals aren't even going to make sense the rest of this game. You just feel dead when you're trying to come back there at the end As you mentioned, I mean, that game should be very competitive, but it's especially, I think, with some of the issues they've had with Stafford. I don't know how fast of a start the Rams are actually going to get off to. And if there's a team that could bury them and put them in a situation where they were not kicking a lot of field goals, it would be the Buffalo Bills.
1: Yeah, so that's definitely one to consider. A name I was going to throw out, if we did want to think about a fifth running back, Mm -hmm. uh, Sean is one of my favorite handcuffs. The very end of drafts. Samaje Pirine is still out there. He's a good football player, had a good prospect profile, has been pretty good in limited time behind Joe Mixon. I think if Mixon goes down, you're likely to see both Pirine and Chris Evans with Evans taking some of the receiving work. But I do think you would be pretty comfortable betting on Pirine, who will turn 27 here in September. He's not super old, doesn't have a ton of work. At the NFL level, under him, actually only has 306 career carries. Uh, yeah, and he's actually a pretty decent receiver. Had 27 catches last year. Somebody that I think would be pretty clearly startable if Mixon were to go down. I don't know if he makes sense in this build, but it's kind of interesting uh, to consider. We, I remember years ago, I think it was maybe Josh Hermsmeyer at, at Rotovis did some work and showed that a high percentage of the running back injuries actually tend to occur in the first couple of weeks. And that once you get into the season to a certain degree, the, the, the long-term injuries, at least once you get into the season, a certain degree, the rate of injuries you know, per week, if you will, starts to fall a little bit. So I don't mind having some of these handcuffs to see if there is, you know, an unfortunate, but you know, a reality part of, of football if there is a, a major injury early in the season. I think Pierre would be a pretty easy cut by like week two if we decided that we didn't really want to hang on to him. But he might also actually have a passing role, which would be sort of interesting if he were to take third downs and, and Evans didn't have them. Anyway, that's that's one potential other consideration I was thinking about.
2: And I put Chris Evans on the zero RB watch list because I do think he has immense upside. He's got the physical talent. He's got a little bit of receiving skill there. But I also mentioned in that piece that you and I and Pat and Pete took Samaj AP Ryan in our main event draft because he's actually the backup and is a good player. He does go at the 18 19 turn to again, uh, a drafter who we're familiar with. So not a huge surprise there. Ben, we're now getting to be about five picks away. So this is kind of the, the requisite time to note that will fuller is always still available <laughs> honest
1: take on will fuller i think he made a lot of sense all throughout the off season to be taking it was very likely even though we hadn't heard anything that he would sign we saw when julio signed how julio started being a 10th 11th 12th round pick and he was going in the same range as will fuller was at this stage of the off season the concern for me is not just whether he signs it's even if he does sign does he Get up to like how fast does it get up to speed? How long are we holding him until it seems using him? Because it's it seems clear at this point, and we sit here on August 28th drafting. Nobody has thought that they need to bring him in to, to improve their receiver depth. Well, you talk point.
2: about getting up to speed, but I mean, Will Fuller is known for consistency, right? And playing in almost all the games, not yes. having any issues. Yeah. So. that's yeah. Reliability certainly is
1: uh, his male name. I don't know that. I, I mean, I think I would prefer the two kicker move. But the Fuller move obviously has more upside. But also maybe one that is, is kind of an in-season play. It's an I'm easy interested. play to make in-season is the other thing I'm thinking. Like, we would probably be more willing to bid on him than anyone else. And we probably wouldn't have to bid $500 to get him. It's, you know, a guy that people are pretty skeptical of. So if he does sign, the Will Fuller lover, lovers probably are able to get him for, you know, I don't know, less than 20% of their budget is what I would say. But we'll I don't want to speculate too much it'll be uh interesting to see if he does play at all this year you think he's going to play somewhere at some point right
2: yes i i mean my most recent thought is that i mean he may be targeting uh, that first week when deshaun Watson is back with the cleveland browns i mean there are obviously plenty of other things that could happen but but if the browns are like three and eight why would they do that
1: Well, just to get it ready for next year. Got it. That actually makes sense. I I now have a logical potential Fuller thing in my brain that that could happen. uh, So we now see our fourth drafter here in the 19th take a second defense. The fourth team that has done that so far in this draft take two defenses. Two of those teams have Buffalo and the Rams. We talked about with the kickers, you know how they're going to be able to see how many points Buffalo and the Rams score in Week One, and then they can go with the other defense if if those defenses don't score a lot. Sean, we're back on the clock. You thinking a player? You thinking another kicker? You thinking grabbing our
2: defense here and making that decision on the wrap? What is, what are we thinking? Yeah, well, this might not be a bad spot to take Tennessee, given what you mentioned with all of these teams taking multiple defenses. The Titans have Daniel Jones and the New York Giants in week one. Yeah, we know they're going to throw a good amount.
1: We have our guy Saquon Barkley, so if they shut down Barkley, at least our defense will get points. (laughs) It's actually, you know, potentially vaguely correlated when I was talking about Barkley's big target profile. If he plays a ton in week one, if they trail and if they have to throw a lot, there might be a lot of dump-offs and there could be some pick sixes and then it gets the Giants back on the field and maybe some more dump-offs, so.
0: so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: We're, t- we're doing upside uh, scenarios in our first show for this draft. My upside scenario for Tennessee is in week one, they get two pick sixes, and it also leads to 10
2: Saquon Park Lee receptions in the fourth, you know eight of them in the fourth quarter. that's definitely what we were thinking about when we selected Barkley at number 10 overall, you mentioned the bold predictions and we, we have still, I mean, I said, David Bell is going to be the number one for the Browns. We kind of glossed over a little bit, but I mean, KJ Hamler is going to be a rich man's Tyler Lockett, right? I mean, this is one of the things about the Albert O pick too. And we had talked about how Dulcich not being there helps him but it also creates a dynamic where i would expect to see more three receiver sets is that the way that you would expect that to give to i mean this this offense when it had patrick and when there was the strong possibility of Dulcich being a a big part all the way through the season i mean despite the immense talent it was difficult to see the paths that would work for KJ Handler, but already pretty early on it's cleaned up quite a bit.
1: Yeah and so Dolz it sounds like he's not going to be ready in week 1 is that it? He's not out long term or anything is he?
2: No, but just uh, again he hasn't been able to really do anything. And yeah. so he's got that build back into you know just being an NFL rookie that you really want to take care of some of that during training camp in the preseason hasn't really been able to we are on the clock have 40 seconds we can do the kickers i kind of like johnny smith or trey mcbride here i'm also tempted just to i mean marcus Mariota is going to score a ton of points we probably don't need him but uh, there is a scenario where trey lance melts down or gets hurt in week one and marcus Mariota scores 35 i wish we had more picks ben who would you like for our final selection well,
1: I would be John, I figure you'd be McBride. I think we can go either out on that. I don't want to worry about the Mariota thing too much. If, if Lance melts down, we'll have to add Mariota off waivers. So we take
2: the fourth tight end, and... I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here is at least mild justification for a build that we know isn't very good. But when you, take, <laughs> when you take the four running backs early and then you don't take any more, it does free up some positional flexibility to attack a position that you maybe got really behind on because you took those early running backs. We've taken four tight ends. I like all four of them. Likely a wild card, but Albert O, Noah Fant, Johnny Smith, especially in tight end premium, I think all three of those guys should be going multiple rounds earlier. I
1: agree. And I think, Johnu, the, the case I would make for why he made sense there, and, and I am glad we took him. There's a case for McBride as well from an early season perspective with DeAndre Hopkins out, but with so much favorable conversation about Rondell Moore, I guess I'm thinking that we're going to probably have a little bit of a slower start for McBride. The Johnu thing is I think we'll know in week one if things are different, right? Like like almost immediately. I, I talked on one of our recent shows about it how he apparently had caught the second most passes in Patriots camp from Mac Jones, according to one beat reporters tracking. Last year, John was still pretty solid from a per route basis. He just didn't run routes. He has that big contract. Sean, you speculated and I've loved that maybe Bill Belichick, the coach will be interested. And Will Fuller does go at 2011. That's interesting, but maybe Bill Belichick, the coach will be, trying to justify Bill Belichick, the GM's contract this year, now that Josh McDaniels is no longer there and using Johnny a little bit uh, more effectively. I think in week one, we're going to see pretty quickly, did he run more routes than, I mean, I'll tell you right now, and for stealing signals week one, I'm going to have a signal that uh, if if Johnny Smith runs more routes, like I'm hoping and, and thinking he might, that could very much be like, look, he ran more routes than he did in any game last year. <laughs> like that, that's a very I would say that's a high probability signal. If if we see it, I will certainly if we see it, I, I would say it's a high probability that I will write that as a signal. That would be, I think, justification immediately for taking him in the 20th round on this build. And and then we'd have a few more weeks to figure out what we have. If he doesn't run a lot of routes in week one, then we can move on pretty quickly as well. We have the four tight ends, we don't need to carry them all it's sort of similar to likely we're going to find out, I think pretty quickly what the wide receiver two is not really being healthy. If likely is actually going to get to run a lot of routes in the regular season when Mark Andrews is running a lot of routes. And if we see that quickly, that could be a quick justification for having him on the roster. If we don't, I don't know that likely is one that we'll want to cut right away, but um, he might be somebody that we're willing to get rid of fairly early into the season as well. So taking both of those, De facto tight end twos in the same build where we took four tight ends. I actually kind of really like, because I think we're going to get early information on both to see how much they're involved and and, and how many routes they're running right away, even if they're not catching a ton of passes.
2: And one of the concerns with Johnny has been just, you know, the H back-ish kind of role. But even that if the situation with Ty Montgomery turns out to be Something that's going to keep him out for a while, maybe change what they had planned. You know, that could work in his favor too. Johnny Smith, extremely athletic. That was one of the reasons why he got that big contract. There is some reason to be excited about Jacoby Myers, Ben. You'll be happy to know that I think in both of the drafts that I did late last night, took Jacoby Myers. But th- this isn't <laughs> a team that has. We got him all the way back around. It is success for team Ben on that one we can check that box but this isn't a team that has so much wider receiver firepower that both Henry and Smith couldn't have some value and we know it's not the same offense that these other things happened in but the Patriots have done it before with Gronkowski and Hernandez we wanted some Johnu. this is the perfect team to land him in because tight end in the 20th round made the perfect sense Trey McBride does not get selected and that was one of the things that i was thinking there too is that we do have the possibility for adding him i i think it's surprising you look at the, the late tight ends that are going and my preference is always to take more upside we'll see whether or not that turns out to actually be the case or not basically in the late rounds you're, you're taking your guys and one way or another you've convinced yourself that those are the players who have upside different drafters have different names on their list it doesn't mean that they are wrong So then that will take us to the end of the draft. We end up in team robust running back territory, four running backs in the first six rounds. We are only bested by the team in the sixth slot who took four running backs in the first four rounds. That team, Najee Harris, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, David Montgomery. Uh, Again, you're drafting off your own board, so this should be the case. But I prefer our four guys. What other teams jump out to you here?
1: Well, yeah, I think one of the really interesting elements about how many running backs we took is we have talked, maybe not so much this year, but about how I remember last year really emphasizing how, I know I know it's been true for you for a long time, and it's becoming far more true for me, or it is certainly in 2022, how there's not a lot of running backs, even early where you're okay taking some running backs that I even want to take. And we talked about this a little bit with the age stuff in the 2023 first and second round shows. There are a lot of backs in those early rounds that are a little bit older. There's not a ton that are even clear targets because there's not a ton that are young, frankly. Barkley is one that's you know 25. He's not super young, but we do like to target DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins. We wind up with a robust build, if you will. I'm kind of doing air quotes, though, because... These are four guys that are, from a profile perspective, running backs we're willing to take among relatively few, frankly, in the first several rounds. So from that perspective, I think it's interesting to think through. It's part of the reason we don't land on robust or, or running back heavy builds. It's not necessarily that we think running backs can't score points. It's also that some of these running back profiles are pretty risky. And then there's you know an element of a cost-benefit analysis as well in terms of what we're giving up at the wide receiver position in a build to take the running back bet in this case, these were four players that we felt it was worth giving things up to build this way. Again, it would have to have been a very specific set of running backs and our rankings are going to reflect that typically as far as the other interesting teams. I mean, the team out of team one, we talked about a little bit throughout the draft did really nicely started Christian McCaffrey and Javante Williams got AJ Brown as well at that two, three turn. The McCaffrey, Javante Williams, two running back start was not followed by another running back until round ten, where they got Kenneth Walker and Rashad White, two guys that were on the zero RB watch list, two rookies with certain paths and, and, and pretty clear upside if those paths exist, you know, materialize. They also got Jalen Hurts to stack with AJ Brown. Jerry, Judy, Terry McLaurin, Christian Kirk, Kadarius, Tony, and then didn't go back to receiver until the 13th round with Michael Gallup. If I have one criticism, it's that, you know, I'm, Sean, we're, we're not very on Terry McLaurin. Christian Kirk might be interesting. You've, you said some favorable things about him recently, but not a guy that I typically would take at 6-12, especially in a draft like this where, like, Drake London was available at that spot. Kadarius, Tony, also a guy that you could clearly see in his route profile has upside I've been somewhat scared off. Michael Gallup seems like he's potentially going to be healthy early in the year. They're talking about him not going on to the PUP list. Maybe that's just optimism trying to get him back. I, I had talked a few weeks ago that I thought he might be back in the first few weeks because of the lack of PUP, which seemed to be the note they were talking about, but getting more information on his timeline and remembering when he was actually injured and when his surgery was some of the sharp, individuals that are tracking the medical side of things have said, that's still going to be pretty quick for Gout to get back and be really help you know, be really productive in the first month of the season. Um, so I've, I've not been pushing him very much lately as a result. So anyway, AJ Brown, Jerry Judy, good receivers there, but don't necessarily love the the receiver depth in that bill, but Cole Komet, a tight end. We like again, Jalen hurts a QB. We like that stacked. I think he did really well to wait on running back, but then also get some upside profiles. That's a good team in, in
2: team one. It is, and it just uh, looking at at what we have done, looking at what his choices were at the six seven turn, when we took J.K. Dobbins at the six oh three as our fourth back, the next three running backs, uh, three wide receivers selected were Allen Lazard, Adam Thielen, and Christian Kirk. I mean, you couldn't take any of those guys ahead of J.K. Dobbins; that would be absurd. And so if you hit a flat spot, if you hit a massive tier break, that's when you have to be willing to be flexible. I I am a little surprised that Drake London lasted as long as he did, given some of those other options. We did have multiple rounds in this draft. Round nine, zero wide receivers. Round seven, given that that often is a big part of the wide receiver avalanche none in the first seven picks so we had some long stretches where if you were hoping for the wide receiver to come back to you you did have a shot at it the team out of nine who i believe was also in the draft and made excellent value picks out of the sixth spot in our first main event goes zero rb finishes with Amari Cooper in round eight, even if you're skeptical about that, when you start Travis Kelsey, C.D. Lamb, DJ Moore, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith, Schuster, Patrick Mahomes, Drake London, and Amari Cooper. And again, I mean, Amari Cooper in round eight is a lot different than Amari Cooper in round five, which is something that was the case for big chunks of the offseason. And then another stretch where we have Numerous players from the Zero RB watch list. James Cook, Naheem Hines, Kenneth Gainwell, Tyler Algier, Eno Benjamin, Mike Davis, Kyron Williams, Boston Scott. Interesting to have both Gainwell and Scott there. I think that you are obviously hoping one of those two players emerge and you can cut the other one if they cannibalize the kind of backup role. Then that won't be as good. But three players in that group from the Zero RB watch we, we don't have as many sort of extreme builds in this draft as we're starting to see. One of the things that it can actually give you a pretty significant advantage, especially and in, in really exclusively if it's wide receiver heavy, we start to see a lot of teams now, even if they do take a running back in the first round, maybe even running back, running back, then we won't see them select any more wide receivers until the double digit rounds you mentioned that kind of right any more running backs we don't see teams really outside of one and nine go on sort of these massive wide receiver stretches that are so frequent these days out of two we get a a robust it's it's sort of a bully tight end plus start where jonathan taylor mike evans george kittle dalton schultz brandon cook's TJ Hawkinson we really like Hawkinson George Kittle has been an absolute superstar Dalton Schultz doesn't really seem to fit into this team because you're looking for those touchdowns if he goes for a couple of games and doesn't get the touchdowns then when you have Kittle and Hawkinson you know maybe he goes back to the bench then he scores touchdowns that team did put some pressure on the rest of the league at the tight end position and yet Fortunately for us, we were still able to get our own targets.
1: Yeah, you mentioned as well the Dobbins pick and the receivers that went after that. For me, the next receivers on the board were Drake, London, Devonta Smith, and Brandon Ayuk at that point. London comes all the way back around to 709, goes off the board one pick before us, but we do get Ayuk and Devonta Smith at the 7-8 turn. So that's probably the key moment in our draft, I would say, in that that Dobbins pick for me... Felt a little bit like we were pressing it and really risking our receiver depth. We had taken Barkley Swift, Mike Williams, Deontay Johnson, and then Brees Hall at 5'10 was just so hard to pass up. Our third running back, Dobbins at 6'03, also hard to pass up. But only five receivers go between Dobbins and Ayuk. You mentioned that three, Lazard, Thielen, Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, And then Drake London were the two that went in the first nine picks of the seventh round. You mentioned how the seventh round opened with seven straight picks without a receiver. Those two went back to back right before us at 710. I would have thought that London, Iyuk and Smith would have all been gone before the 710. We wouldn't have gotten any of them. So to get Ayuk and Devonta Smith at 710 and 803, and then to get Trey Lance at the 910 on top of that, because then we had gone eight rounds without a quarterback and we wind up getting Trey Lance, who I'm comfortable taking at the 7-8 turn. We get him at the 9-10. That was a very key moment in our draft. We also got Sky Moore at 10 who I mentioned I've taken as high as the 7th round in main events. Getting that type of receiver value after the four running backs we took in the first six rounds. Guys that we like, getting them to fall and, and, and being able to grab them in that 7-8, 9-10 range was just so uh so helpful for for our build and for us liking our build and not having to take some players that maybe we, we didn't necessarily love because we needed to get some receivers on the team
2: and you talk about the risk and the joy of having it pan out and you know just sometimes you do get the breaks in your favor to emphasize that tier break after Devonte smith the next five wide receivers in that round are amari cooper chase claypool robert woods tyler lockett Kadarius tony again you don't know the future i mean some of those picks could work out but there's just there's a monster gap between what we were able to get and the guys who come after them and then no wide receivers in round nine if we get hit and those guys are gone then i mean it's an absolute desert probably the next guy on our board is sky Moore, who we selected in round 10 so we we have to kind of thank the fantasy gods a little bit there they were coming to us after the running back early start
1: as, as as excited as we are about that, I, I will say that in, in some respects, I was kind of excited to see what you were going to suggest we do with this build after taking Dobbins, if that stuff wouldn't have fallen to us. How do you see that 7-10 to 10 round falling if it doesn't fall so favorably? I think that would be very helpful for listeners who maybe find themselves questioning some of these robust RB builds. We're not really giving a lot of advice when <laughs> we're saying, oh, hey, this really worked out. We got the receivers that we would have taken in the 6th round and in the 7th and 8th. Let's say Iyuk and Smith were gone. What do we do at 7-8? Let's say Lance doesn't come back. We talked through that a little bit. We were thinking about fields maybe later or even taking Russell Wilson there and then playing Denver's offense, uh, pass offense through some of their cheaper weapons. We did wind up with two of them, Alberto and KJ Hamler. But what would you have been thinking in those ranges if receivers did go off pretty heavily in the seventh round?
2: Yeah, one thing that we were kind of gambling on was this idea that either Elijah Moore, DK Metcalf, or Darnell Mooney would come back to us. That probably is not the right gamble to make, although ADP suggests it's going to work out most of the time. And so, and and to clarify, that's at the 5-6 turn. the 5-6. Brees Hall,
1: 5-10. Elijah Moore goes 5-11. DK Metcalf goes 5-12. Darnell Mooney goes 6-1. The three picks in a row after our Brees Hall 5-10 pick and three of the four picks before we were back on the clock at 6.03 and took Dobbins.
2: And if any of the three of them had been there, then we would have taken that player. And and that's kind of how we were looking to play it, not necessarily trying to put ourselves into this situation where we have to get lucky coming back around. Yeah. And again, just underlines, I think the Lance value, because if I, and Smith aren't there, then you're probably taking Lance at the seven 10. And again, that, that's just a, huge gap between that and where we got him at the nine you're probably taking him there and i think that you're probably taking a tight end because the receivers are just it's just such terrible value you you don't want to ever get into a situation where you think okay i've blown it and now i'm going to take players because of adp that i don't have ranked in that range it's important to not be constantly reaching and not to give away any value that you have in your own rankings and you know sometimes your rankings going to rewrite sometimes they're going to be wrong if you have a good ability to both sort of track the news but more importantly do the player evaluations to where you understand kind of big picture and player profiles more than thinking okay i'm going to hit on any individual guy then your rankings are going to be valuable they're going to give you some extra value but as soon as you start reaching on all of them, then you give away a lot of that value. At the same time, you don't ever want to get stuck just taking some random player because you're scared to ever select someone who's not an ADP value. But in this case, we would have taken Trey Lance and then we would have taken a tight end because we wanted to save the picks then. So what we ended up doing was taking Lance in nine and Albert Owen 11. If we hadn't had receivers for the seven, eight, we would have used those positions at qb and tight end and then in 9 10 11 we would have taken wide receivers in a range where our board relative to adp is giving us guys we really like at and that we might point. have
1: been taking Traylon burks at that point even if sky Moore didn't make it back he winds up going in the middle of the 11th round we might have taken rondell Moore at the 9 10 i think that makes a lot of sense it's probably how that, that team would have wound up Trey lance instead of iuk maybe cole Komet or whoever at 803 um and then, uh, you know, something like a Traylon Burks at 9.10 and and potentially Rondell Moore in, in that range. Maybe Rondell at 9.10, Traylon Burks at 10.03. So, yeah, would have been a very different build. We would have also been replacing the Albert O. pick at 11.10 with a receiver that, you know, we wind up getting John Dotson at 12.03. We're probably taking John Dotson at 11.10 in that scenario, 12.03. Maybe we take Julio. It would have been a very different receiver build through that range without some of those values that fall. But I think you put that well... One of the things you hit on there sparked uh, a thought for me that I was trying to drive home to some listeners over at Ship Chasing a few months back. And it, it was, for me, partially sparked by a friend who had asked uh, in a Superflex rookie draft, they needed to get some quarterbacks or quarterbacks weren't strong and wanted to try to get into the second round of this group. Uh, and this was you know before the preseason where these this quarterback classes started to look better, but certainly after the draft where the quarterback class didn't look good. And I was explaining sort of a long way of saying just because you need quarterbacks doesn't mean this quarterback class can solve that problem for you, you can't take them over. And he was talking about taking them potentially in the early second in super flex, that certainly happens, but there were some good receiving profiles available for these rookies. So my argument was you can't take these quarterbacks at after the draft where I had certainly soured a little bit pre-draft. I was out there taking these quarterbacks in rookie drafts at the, at the one, two turn in super flex thinking as we talked about all off season, that those quarterbacks might go a little higher.
2: And how will they still pay that off for you?
1: How will they still pay that off? I'm optimistic and Ritter might as well. He's been looking good in the preseason, but I took them over like George Pickens in some drafts. And I'm certainly regretting that at this point where we sit in, in late August, but that'll happen in dynasty. Anyway, the uh, the question was about taking a, a very aggressive stance on one of these rookies post-draft after we knew their draft positions were, you know, for most of them into day three or at least into day two into round three. I can't remember exactly where all those quarterbacks ended up falling in the draft, but I was explaining that in on ship chasing. The reason I'm telling the story is Pat Corrine had the greatest one line um, as I was trying to make a broader point. He summed it up so well. He said, the draft doesn't care what your needs are. I always talk about how it also relates to the NFL draft, right? Where you can't take, you know, best player available. You need to get players that are good first. It doesn't necessarily matter what position or anything. The draft doesn't care what your needs are. Very applica- applicable to fantasy football. You just described that so well. If I, you can did then fall to us. Just because we needed to hit receivers there doesn't mean that if our draft wasn't allowing us to hit receivers there, that we would have started to take really bad receivers because that's how you build a bad team. What you need to do first and foremost is make good picks on good players. And so, as you said, if we were in that range and didn't have any receivers that were anywhere near the value of what we wanted, and the draft didn't care that we needed a receiver, we would have gone to QB and tight end and tried to get a lot of difference making point potential at those positions and continued to push receiver which was uncomfortable or would have been uncomfortable is always uncomfortable for us, but would have been the decision because you can't solve a problem just because you want to like that, that friend of mine trying to solve the super flex quarterback problem in the 2022 quarterback class that didn't really have any great options early in his rookie draft. I was saying you can't solve it this year or you have to trade or you have to wait until 2023 rookie drafts, you know, taking those quarterbacks above uh, a good receiver or a Trey McBride tight end in, in and Dynasty would have been compounding the problem because now you're probably not going to solve your QB problem anyway, and you're not going to have another potential star on your Dynasty team. Same concept here. Very important one to think about in any build that you're doing. The draft doesn't care what your needs are. You need to draft really good players. And, you know, sometimes the draft is going to push you away from the type of structure that you want. and, And that's how you have to be flexible. And that's how you see us be flexible. Sometimes it's also... Uh, I, I think a better example probably what we did at the 5 6 turn, right? The, the draft didn't care that we started Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift in the 1 2 turn when Brees Hall and JK Dobbins were in those spots and there weren't receivers that we loved more than them. We would have probably preferred that we started Kyle Pitts at 110 and maybe even CeeDee Lamb at, at 203, but the draft doesn't really care that we started running back, running back, and we don't get to change that at that point. So what we did was we went to a robust running back build, did not take another running back the rest of the draft, built as the draft was letting us build very fortunate that the receiver value then started to fall to us, as we said, but the decisions we made in those spots were driven by this idea that we got to take what the draft gives us sometimes and be flexible and then think critically about, okay, now that we've been flexible and taken four running backs in the first six rounds, never our plan. How do we then build
2: from there? And you mentioned the possibility of taking Kyle Pitts, CeeDee Lamb. That would be an interesting team, too. You flip those two guys in instead, and suddenly then in round 11, we're probably looking at that 11-12 range. It'd be a little bit early, but perhaps Tyler Algier and Raheem Mostert in those two picks. You come back in 13 and 14 and probably take Jared McKinnon. Benjamin goes one spot ahead of where we selected Noah Fant. That would be a fun team too. It would be a team that I think a lot of drafters would look at as being riskier because you're you know, starting Reese Hall and J.K. Dobbins early and they look like they might not be ready. And yet if we flipped those players, I would also be very excited about that one. One of the reasons that I think 2022 is a lot of fun is that last year it didn't look like the back third of drafts was going to be that strong and it turned out to be. This year, it actually there. There are a lot of, of fun ways to play it. We mentioned the five six. I mean, the five six is really where you have difficult decisions if you're in that back third. Elijah Moore, DK Metcalf, Darnell Mooney. I mean, those those guys are good values and they have a lot of upside. They all fit that situation where if and it's not just like the fantasy community. I mean, like everybody thinks that the Jets the Seahawks and the Bears passing games are going to be poor. If those key teams are merely mediocre, those three wide receivers are set up to crush ADP. I think you have to have the guts to draft them at least some if you're stuck with a pick in that area because those, I mean those guys just do separate so much. We chose not to here. And then, Ben, before we go, I did also want to mention, I think because of the early tight end and the early QB pick i wasn't thinking about it exactly properly i said that we didn't necessarily have wide receiver heavy or, or zero rb-ish teams in this draft outside of maybe the ninth the team in 11 has a really cool start of Devontae adams mark andrews gabe davis amon, amon Ra, elijah moore not only is that wide receiver heavy with the elite tight end but in Devontae adams you have maybe the best wide receiver in football and then you have three young guys so you have explicit upside you have justin herbert we don't really like that value but there's no question that justin herbert could be a tournament winner for you then comes back with again maybe not exactly the guys that i would be targeting but really fun running back profiles in cordero patterson brian robinson who does show up on the zero RB watch list isaiah pacheco daryl henderson and then doesn't get scared of you know where they are at running back and flips back and takes some more high upside wide receivers i think the team in 11 may be I mean, I never want to say like our biggest competition because then (laughs) things go in a very different direction, but they would be one of the teams I'm putting my money on.
1: Yeah. And those upside receivers you mentioned after that run of running backs included Joshua Palmer, which was an interesting pick with the Herbert selection. I think one of the paths to Herbert really hitting is if Joshua Palmer does break out, not a guy that we're typically on, but if he has a really strong step forward type of season. You know, we're betting against him on this team. We took Mike Williams in the third round. We're hoping that Williams is clearly the guy. But if Palmer were to step forward alongside Williams and, and Keenan Allen, and with Eckler as a good running back receiver, suddenly Herbert's weapons look a lot stronger. So Palmer kind of a key player for Herbert, and I like the idea of stacking him with him, saying if Herbert has a ceiling outcome, maybe he's bringing Palmer along with him, or vice versa if you really like Palmer, saying Palmer's the guy that unlocks the Herbert top three outcome. I think about that that a lot with QB stacks where, you know, if I get T Higgins on a team, but not Jamar Chase, I'm still, I think more interested in Burrow because I think Higgins is really a big one. We think T Higgins is incredibly good, but like Chase just feels so can't miss at this point to me. It's it's if Higgins has that big season that makes him worth a third round pick, then, then Joe Burrow is going to be a star. I mean, he's going to throw for 5,000 plus yards. So sometimes for me, it's that secondary receiver that actually makes sense for the stack in that the top receiver is already priced pretty high. The second receiver might be the one that unlocks that quarterback upside. It, it might also be said that I, I'm thinking for uh, for this, that they are some of the more vertical receivers, the the, the downplay, downfield type play receivers, maybe you know, more maybe higher touchdown rates as well associated with that. So like Mike Williams might also fit for Herbert in my mind. I don't think Keenan Allen is a guy that you'd suddenly need to stack with Herbert. If you're taking Keenan Allen, if you take Mike Williams, I think you're probably bumping up Herbert a little bit. Cause if Williams does really hit, it's probably much bigger for Herbert's stat line than, you know, if Keenan Allen has 120 catches or what have you anyway. And
2: the something to you're think about. kind of glossing over there. And, and that was exactly the right way to think about unlocking the QBs DJ Chark the player who unlocks Goff for him. I mean, he's going to get to the halfway point of the season and and Jared Goff going to be the QB starter. Then I joke that all all roads lead back to AJ Brown, but for you this year, all roads lead back to Jared Goff somehow. And you can tell who the better drafter is when one person is on AJ Brown and the other one is Jared Goff. (laughs) Six of the 12 teams do take a second QB. We do not. It was interesting here because both the Kyler Murray and the Justin Herbert, drafters take two the Lamar Jackson drafter takes three my preference is the guts that we're getting out of the two slot where this drafter is like I've got Justin Fields so I'm set that's the only QB I need I like that a lot too I mean you mentioned a lot of two QB builds
1: here a lot of quarterbacks drafted one of them was Deshaun Watson for the Kyler Murray drafter they seem to be interested in holding Watson all year and then having two potentially high-end quarterbacks if they make it to the shootout portion. But when that happens, another element of that is that Tuatega Vailoa goes in the final round. You mentioned Marcus Mariota goes undrafted. I don't see Mac Jones here unless he went in the last couple picks. No, he didn't go either. I don't think I see Daniel Jones on this board. So we, you know, we made a little bit of a a stand as well going without Lance, but especially, especially for the fields drafter, if fields really has a hard time early, there's going to be options at quarterback. And maybe that's not true in your home league always. And, and so maybe you do want to draft the backup. If you're a home league drafter, listening to this, if there, if everyone takes two QBs and Daniel Jones and Mac Jones and Tua, none of those guys have any shot to be available to you, even Mariota. And you wouldn't have to pick up Matt Ryan or something. Maybe I would get it more. Part of the reason I was comfortable not taking Mariota late was that we could, you know, if something does happen where we don't love Lance uh, a couple of weeks into the year. Cause he's really just melted down. Like you suggested might be possible. Sean at the, at the very end of the draft, we could potentially get Mariota. If we don't get Mariota, we could potentially get Mac Jones. We could potentially get Daniel Jones. There are multiple viable quarterbacks. I think profiles that are worth considering that drafter who took La, who took Tua in the 20th round has Lamar and Derek Carr already. They might carry three quarterbacks all year, but the, you know we might see Tua get cut, or even Derek Carr get cut if he has a bad couple of first weeks and, and Tua has a good couple first weeks. Maybe that drafter says, I can't carry three QBs and Derek Carr is the one I gotta let go. Again, in, in leagues where people are willing to take only one quarterback like this one, there's gonna be viable options if you need to switch off of lance but you know the, the the point applies more to field so i like what that drafter did in the two slot being willing to just gamble on field saying look i'm starting fields at least for a couple weeks
2: it doesn't work i'll figure it out then so that's the perfect way to sum up our second main event i'll probably have some content on the site looking at this kind of the ffpc main event master draft plan or at least draft prep how do you do it from a top top six slot how do you do it from a back sixth or back third slot then you and i are hoping to do a few more of these one of the things that i really enjoyed and i appreciate you playing along with me on are the bold predictions again we did have some legitimate statistical info in there along with the silliness so i thought that was a lot of fun I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben crutch You can follow him at yards YardsPerCretch. And to make sure that you are subscribed to Stealing Signals, we mentioned some of the great content that you've been getting. When we go through the first couple of weeks, you don't want to miss out on the signal and the noise. You also don't want to miss out on your new betting options, both games and Ben. You guys are going to cover props. You and Dalton have. A really cool plan for stealing lines. Make sure you get in there and subscribe to that. We did a little segment on the previous show. We're doing a contest to sort of promote stealing bananas and Rotobiz overtime, where I'm also looking forward to doing some FBG drafts. That's the FFPC $350 level draft with listeners. Colin Kelly is really the person to be following, to be retreating, to be. Uh, copying and what have you on all of your contest entries. I'm excited for that portion. You guys have just been absolutely fantastic. It's it's lifted the podcast. It's lifted us. It makes us feel so good to be able to share this time with you. I'm looking forward to giving a little bit back with a couple of those drafts. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. We're going to have a lot more content not only over these next couple of weeks as everyone is drafting ferociously fast and furious with all the draft content coming out but then the first two three four six 18 weeks of the fantasy season the first 18 at the very least are going to be a lot of fun we'll have shows for you throughout that i can't wait talk to you guys soon